everybody, welcome to episode 117 of Literary Disco, Holiday Revisit 2017. Today, just a bit late as usual, we'll discuss some of our favorite holiday books. So while you're sipping that eggnog and avoiding political discussion with your family, join us to find out what books you should have packed with you. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey guys. Ho, 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 ho. And by the way, it's not Christmas. It's the holidays because uh, at least one of us is a Jew. I believe I said holidays. No one said Christmas. I think you said Christmas. Uh, I wasn't listening. All I said was sipping eggnog <laughs> and avoiding political discussion with your family. Look, the fact of the matter is there's a war on right now. It's in a war on Hanukkah. It's a war on yeah. Christmas. <laughs> Uh, I I wish everyone had Hanukkah. Well, thanks. Actually, as we're recording this, we are on the third night of Hanukkah. A couple things I haven't done yet. Uh, Bought my wife any Christmas gifts yet. And she wanted me to get her a thing that I looked at today. And it's going to take four to six weeks for it to arrive. And she sent me a link to it about six weeks ago. Oh, boy. So you you guys do Hanukkah and Christmas. Well, we light the candles on Hanukkah, um, and then I sort of botch up the prayer because I only know like the first three words of it: Baruchatai, Adonai, Hanukkah. Um, and then I, I can't a little bit because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then we we watch Hallmark Christmas movies. For the rest of the <laughs> do night. you guys do? Do you guys have a Christmas tree or any of those traditions? Of course, yeah. Oh. I, I I'm going to turn the the listeners won't be able to see this, but I'm going to turn the camera. Because I'm sitting next to our Christmas tree. Oh, boom! That's oh, a nice looking splendent. tree. We're not fucking around here. You, you got to put this in context, Ryder and Julia. Wendy is in charge of the holidays. The house is done up like it's the fucking Macy's Christmas special over here. Is there a creepy gnome behind you, like a super white elf on the shelf? Yeah, that's correct. That's that's, uh, <laughs> that's Judah Maccabee. <laughs> He's. He's guarding the menorah, in fact, as we speak. <laughs> well, if, if you look, there's a menorah also right behind me. <laughs> so, uh, Todd, uh, I'm curious what you think of uh, Hallmark Christmas movies, because actually next week at our theater, I am going to be in an, a fully improvised Hallmark Christmas movie. Couple things. Uh, really fun. Love them. Okay. Um, am fascinated by them. Have friends who write them. Uh-huh. Um, the thing that really fascinates me most about the Hallmark Christmas movie is the prevalence of princes, there's that, but uh-huh. also of the zip-up collared sweaters on men who kind of look like Chris Pine, but aren't Chris <laughs> Pine. Do they usually involve, with like, a, magic? With a three-day scruff like, of beard. They're all romantic no. comments. Right? Oh, no. So I thought maybe it was Some like Christmas magic. magic with elves and, and stuff like well, that. Well... So, I mean, there's a lot of, she's a high-powered lawyer from the city, and her father owned Christmas Town, and she needs to come back because the corporation's taking it over, and then she gets there, and there's a guy who used to work for her dad, who looks like Chris Pine, but isn't Chris Pine, has sort of like mm-hmm. a larger nose than Chris Pine, mm-hmm. and he's a guy about town who also gave up a career as a, he was a fireman in LA and couldn't hack it, and came back to Christmas Town or whatever. And there's no way these two kids are ever going to fall in love because they're from different parts of the world. It's not going to happen. Yeah, right. no. But then at some point you hear the, the jingle bell thing between them. And then 25 minutes later, they're 
there are a couple. It's more like Christmas serendipity. Yes. You know? Yes. Uh, and, I mean, the essential structure... I've done an improvised Hallmark movie before, but not <laughs> Hallmark Christmas I would love movies. to see this, by the way. It's so fun. Um, is that there's a woman who's, like, too busy, and she has some job where she's, like, harried and exhausted, and then she usually has to go back to, like, her hometown for some reason. Uh, and there is some down-to-earth man who reminds her of what's really important. And sometimes that man is Santa. <laughs> well, that's, I remember I had friends who were somehow involved with a, a project for Hallmark a couple years ago. And it, it, I don't think it ended up being called this, but the script was called Hunky Santa. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah. And I was like, Hunky, Hunky Santa. Santa? So that has been like the punchline in our household for a couple years. Like, oh, I got to work on Hunky Santa this week, you know. And Ryder, I got news for you. If you wanted to, you could earn a substantial living Being, in the Christmas movie. I could world be the guy in the, the pullover, the sweater zipped up. You, oh yeah, you would be ideal. You would for be these ideal movies. for these. Yeah, because it's all—it's like half. Maybe of I should just like, write one. Uh, just accept my well, that fate. You should do, and I should write one and star in my own Hallmark Christmas movie. Yes, yes. I want to be in it. Can we both be in it? Todd can be hunky Santa. Well. Apparently, so so Netflix has jumped into this. They just they just produced yeah. like a princess prince oh, romantic yeah. comedy when, movie. When, yeah. when do you watch that one too? I mean, we watch them all. The Hallmark ones they they follow that a, a really nice pattern also, where there's always a scene in a coffee shop where there's a chalk menu thing out front, um, and the coffee shop's always called like Supreme Bean, you know, <laughs> something like that, where it's like. Vaguely religious, but not quite. Higher religious. grounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this year, um, this year, there's been a couple that have brought in modern day technology, like Uber. Um, so, in fact, one that a friend of mine wrote um, involves like an Uber driver, and Jody Sweeten uh, is the star of that one. Um, so, I, there, I, I am. Like, I love You've Got Mail and any other sort of schmaltzy romantic comedy. So the Hallmark Christmas movies, and I love Christmas. I just, I fucking love Christmas. So the Hallmark Christmas movies are like popcorn for me. I, oh, yeah, that's great. I, I wonder if they'll ever get together. Oh, he's Santa. That's weird. So he <laughs> sees her while she's sleeping. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll let you you guys know how the improvised version goes. I can't wait. We did, the last one I was in, it was... We did two in a row, improvised Hallmark movie and then improvised Lifetime. And I much prefer Lifetime because it's like crazy and there's always some bad teen who <laughs> goes off the tracks. Uh, isn't Lifetime just uh, somebody dying of cancer? Like it's just, oh, <laughs> mom's dying. and It's... <laughs> Here uh, comes Santa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but there can also be like a, um, like the one that, one of the ones I watched to prepare was like, teen girl bullies and then they like accidentally killed a girl yeah, and then they hit her body and all this oh stuff. Oh god. It's like some Donna yeah. Tart lifetime shit right there. Yeah. Huh. Exactly. Except what Donna Tart writes is really 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 uh well good. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing about Hallmark though. Um and I only know this because I just got back from my MFA residency and people were talking about it and then I had to look it up. So Hallmark, uh, for their Christmas movies and a lot of their other movies, would um, adapt category romance, so Harlequin romances and things like that, um, but also where, where the Christmas book is alive and well. Remember we read The Christmas Bride, oh, yes. that, that horrible uh -huh. romance novel? 
Um, but Harlequin, or I'm sorry, Hallmark is now putting out their own line of books. Smart. So essentially, they're going to package their books into their Hallmark movies, all be one sort of continuous human centipede clusterfuck of the holidays. Cool. <laughs> human and you will centipede buy it. of holiday content. <laughs> <laughs> One way to put Rudolph it. Rudolph the brown-nosed reindeer. <laughs> that is so gross. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, oh, let's talk boy. about some of our favorite holiday books or things we are reading oh, this holiday. We actually had no plan for <laughs> so today. It was just holiday books. So uh, I'm going to let you guys take it away. One of you start off, start us off with uh, what you chose for Holiday Revisit 2017. Okay. Todd? Uh, go ahead, Julia. Oh, uh, sure. Julia. Okay, go I'll go. Oh. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I didn't even, like, take this down or take this out, and I may have mentioned it in past years. Who knows? Um, but I think, even though it's, like, the classicest classic of all time, um, A Christmas Carol I try to read every year, and I also see it in some format every year. Um, oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, it is, you know, have you guys read A Christmas Carol? I don't think so. No. Oh my god, so. you have to read it. It's well, a few uh, a few years ago, like ten years ago, um, I went on. I read David Copperfield, and then I was like, "Oh, Dickens is actually really amazing and not super boring, like I thought when I was fifteen. So I reread a ton of Dickens, uh, including A Christmas Carol, and just the language is so much fun, and it's like the ultimate fairy tale for. <laughs> You know, Western culture is like, you did wrong, you were horrible, but you have a chance to fix it. And look, you know, it's the ultimate myth, I feel like, in our Mm -hmm. culture. So every year, um, I mean, there's like a million productions of A Christmas Carol around here. So every year, I usually see it at this regional theater um, that's by my house, Harvard Stage. We do an improvised Christmas Carol at the theater. And (laughs) I basically know backwards and forwards at this point. But I don't know. You don't get sick of it? Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. Um, Has there ever been like a fresh take where, like, you know, well, I don't know, again, Marlo's played by a woman, or Keanu Reeves shows up and plays an orphan. Well, well, Tiny Tim is actually thirty-five years old, and there's a man who looks vaguely like Chris Pine in a zip-up sweater. (laughs) Well, I mean, not to go too much back into improv, but the improvised Christmas Carol is really fun because you have the audience give you like so much information of who all the people are like I'm not usually in it but last year uh Greg was in it and you know the audience gave us like uh Scrooge's job so he's a angry hairdresser or he's whatever (laughs) and that that feels really fun um one year I was in it and the the ghosts of Christmas uh past I think were snap crackle and pop so that's obviously like a huge joke but it is really fun. But every year I also end up watching A Muppet Christmas Carol because I don't know if you guys know this, but <laughs> A Muppet Christmas Carol is the adaptation that contains the most original Dickens of any movie or any, no, or any play. Know. It has the most language because Gonzo plays Dickens and just like says whole paragraphs from the book. Huh. Um, oh, cool. But it is, I, I don't get sick of it because it's, it's just a classic. Like, it's the moral tale that we all want to hear, you know? Like, you can have a terrible life, but as soon as you realize what you've done, you can get it all back. So, I will be reading I don't it. believe that's actually true, though. Like, that's, that is not, in fact, reality. Like, you can have a terrible life, and when you realize that it, it's too late 
Nobody loves you. Not anymore. unless you're super rich. Okay, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Look, I'm just, it's, it's that time of year when people got to be real because I'm thinking about that thing I was supposed to order six weeks ago. And I'm worried. It's you not need available that, anymore? It's not. It's going to be a thing. Okay, just, Todd, right. you need some Hallmark Christmas magic. And I do. Since this episode isn't going to come out for a while, you need to tell us what it is and we can see if we can help you. It's like a, it's like a new fireplace cover. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, it's like a thing. Uh huh. It's like a, it's like a brick thing. Oh, you're not going to be able to order that on Amazon. No, I know. Two day deliveries. <laughs> <laughs> really, really should have thought about order. this about five weeks ago. There was a thing I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. Mm. Well, you could always show her a picture. This is coming in January. Oh, what, what, a, what a great move. <laughs> oh, I think you're screwed. Yeah, I'm going to see about maybe getting tickets to Disneyland. So, uh, Todd, <laughs> what are you going to revisit? Well, I have a very weird and specific revisit that only um, some of the world, those that are about my age, or maybe Ryder, will recall. And that is the glory that was the Sears Holiday Gift Book. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I know what it is, but I've never seen or experienced one. Every year in the fall, Sears would release this giant book. It was like 800 pages long of things that were available for the fall, but it was also things that you that to entice kids to buy for the holidays. And I just, um, I had forgotten about this for a long time. And then Rolf Potts, who we went to graduate school with, um, he has a, a new podcast that he's doing that I think is coming out shortly. But anyway, we, we got to talking about the, the gift book on there for some reason. Um, and so I went and I was looking back at the 1982 Sears Wish Book, which is, in my mind, when I really got into the Sears Wish Book. Cause, so what would happen is you'd get it <clears throat> and you would mark the pages of the stuff that you wanted. And so they had everything from like lawnmowers to Star Wars action figures and everything in between. And then Sears also had their own, like, like uh, Hydrox off-brand toy line. <laughs> so, like, instead of getting the cool Mattel shit, you'd get Remco. Or instead of getting, like, um, you know, great stereo, you'd get the Sears brand stereo. You'd get... Um, and it know, would break getting, within, like, two weeks. Right. right. Instead of get, getting, like, a Mongoose bike, you'd get a Huffy bike. Huffy was... Sears in-house brand. Um, so it was both a book of high hopes because they had all the good stuff. And then... Profound disappointment. Profound disappointment when reality <laughs> set in. And you ordered, like, for instance, the um, the giant uh, like 35-piece G.I. Joe Cobra Command headquarters. And instead, you got like a cardboard cutout... <laughs> Of the Starship Enterprise from Remco or something. Because that was the year that Star Trek bought into Sears or, or vice versa. But anyway, I was looking at, uh, because everything is on the internet now, I was looking online at um, the 1982 uh, Sears Wish Book and remembering it so vividly. You could get a Star Wars At-At, which is the big moving thing that that uh, is a stupid war device because it's a... A slow moving. Wait, the walkers? Barely, yeah, the walkers. An at at. A slow moving. 
Yeah. yeah. A, slow, a slow moving bear like thing that can be befuddled by string. Um, <laughs> but you could get one of those for a mere $49.99. Um, you could get the aforementioned G.I. Joe Cobra Command Headquarters for $10.99. Um, He Man and Battle Cat, that was $9.99. You get one of those. Um, but they had the Coleco tabletop arcade games. And this is what I want to talk about, just briefly. I had a vision in my mind in 1982 that that was the year my mom was going to get me Frogger and Pac-Man and Space Invaders and Galaga in these tabletop game sets that were like, I don't know, they were like a foot high and um, they, they had the actual um, joystick on them and they, they had all of them and they were, they were 60 bucks each, which is absurd. <laughs> they're, they're absolutely absurd. But I just remember going to that Sears gift book and marking like, yes, Frogger. Yes, Dig Dug. Yes, Pac-Man. Yes, Galaga. I want all of these. It would have been like, you know, $7,000 for my mom to get me those. <laughs> I got none of them. Um, this was also the weird time when um, Glowworm was everywhere. Do you guys remember the Glowworm? Oh, I had one. Yeah, Glowworm was a big uh, a big thing. Um, it was also this weird period of time where they began selling clothes for young boys um, with uh, NFL logos on them, so sports teams logos. And I'm profoundly colorblind, so, you know, all I can really see are, like, you know, gray and blue are, like, my main colors. Or, like, a deep, deep green sometimes I can see. And for some reason that year, I decided I was really into the color green, and I just remember that the New York Jets had a series of V-neck sweaters <laughs> with the Jets logo on them. This is not going to end well. And I was like, oh, I'd look good in that. People would like me if I had that. The Jets are cool. The Jets are not cool. And like of all the things I got that year, it was like, I, I got none of the things I wanted, but I got like three New York Jets V-neck sweaters that I could wear with Sansibel pants. And I just remember coming to school dressed like a 75-year-old man, <laughs> thinking I was oh like, God. ladies, I'm here. I'm in my velour v-neck. And people were like, what is what is wrong with dumb Todd wearing a v-neck velour New York Jets sweater? Anyway, that gift book played a very important role in my life for essentially every Christmas from the time I could start reading until I was about, I don't know, 12, 13 years old. Wow. And part of what a beautiful commercial. Part experience. of me is still in that gift book, waiting, waiting to get that uh, that Star Wars garbage can that never showed up. <laughs> and those soup tabletop dig those dug. Superman sheets that I didn't ever get. Fuckers. What about you, Ryder? Did you have a good childhood? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It's pretty, pretty funny to think that, that, that your literature choice is a catalog from 1982. I know, it's, I know. It says a lot. But it, 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 it's actually... I chose Dickens. Yeah. I chose Charles. Uh, every year I have a big mug of tea and reread right. yeah. Dickens. Every year I have a pick. big mug of regret. Exactly. Like mad just, that you just stew in your 11-year-old resentment. Yeah. Like, like someone could have gotten me the Millennium Falcon? I, like, I couldn't have got that toy that year? Oh. You would have broken it anyway. 
I would have broken it. I was all thumbs. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of toys when I was a kid. I realized, like, I always had friends who had all the toys. Like, you know, I had the friend who had the all the He-Man. I had the friend who had all the G.I. Joes. So I would just go to their house and play with their stuff. And my parents, if I remember correctly, made me pay for all my own toys, which meant... What? My brother and I would buy all of our stuff at the flea market every weekend. <laughs> what? We'd go to the what? flea market and all the toys I would, my parents would buy stuff for us, but they would always be like stuff, you know, like books or they, they, they didn't like my dad just didn't think we needed toys like, like objects, plastic little things. We didn't have that many of them. And so I would always spend all my own money, like whatever I had saved for my allowance, I would buy tons of the biggest pieces of shit from the flea market you know how like i don't know if you guys yeah. ever went to the flea market as a kid oh, yeah. but it yeah. would be like they, it would be like all the off-brand stuff that you're talking about todd but even like worse so it would be like you know <laughs> it's a cop car that winds up and takes a battery but you you know it takes a watch battery that you have to buy <laughs> you know it's like always it would always get home i would i would have like my five dollars and i'd be like i could get so much stuff and then i'd come home and it never would work or it would be broken by the next day, like invariably. Yeah. Uh, but Christmas, you know, Christmas time, we always, we, we got stuff. Um, so, it, but it was never, I just never had toys as a kid. Well, and knowing your dad, he was like, I'm busy building this house made of trees with my own two hands. <laughs> exactly. Keep yourself exactly. busy. Well, we went, through a, we went through a phase. Here's a we toy for you, Ryder. It's Shiloh. Right. <laughs> Teach him to be a man. We went through a phase when we were teenagers where we decided we would only, as a family, we would only give one gift to each other. Like that was the way to simplify and just be like, okay, we're each, you know, because it used to be we'd come down and my parents would have, you know, spent hundreds of dollars on like 30 different things and my brother and I wouldn't care right. about any of it. So we decided, and I think this was when I was like 13 or 14, we we're like, all right, let's just each give each other one gift and that'll be easier. But then my parents went crazy and started like spending months making stuff for us so uh, like they spent like they they made uh not life-size but like giant chess sets for us where oh my my, my mom wow. my, they sculpted each chess piece individually out of clay <laughs> and then made and then molded it into like this plastic stuff and then they put like fur and wood and like ma they made these it was like months of work and then the next year they made a lamp stained glass they had cut all the glass and it was like guys this is taking like there was no way we could ever return the the gratitude you know it was like we were they were spending months on this so we finally had to get rid of that tradition we're like no no no, go back to just buying this crap because this is taking way too much effort and it was ridiculous so yeah that's... that was your cats in the cradle year where you didn't see your dad because he was out back forging a pawn right i before you do your revisit writer i yeah. i think i mentioned this last year but my family has a few times done the greatest thing ever which is a re-gift christmas when we're all broke uh, you can give as many presents as you want, but they just have to be shit you don't want anymore. Uh, and it is so fun. It's just regifting books or clothes or whatever in your house. And if everyone agrees to it, it feels less tacky and more delightful. That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. also the name of our upcoming new podcast, Less Tacky, More Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I'm so dissatisfied by, you know, like the way they, they say that the, they say, I don't know where someone told me one time that the best way <laughs> is that everybody actually just makes a list and sends it to each other with like links of what they want. And then, no. then more people, I, but I find that so disheartening. If I'm just me like, too. I really like this jacket. And then somebody buys it for me. Like I forget who gave it to me. You know, I'm like, Oh, I have that jacket. Right. That I asked for from everybody so, in my and life it, and then they gave somebody one of them gave it to my, my mom or my wife or, you know it's like wait a minute like I should I don't know but then yeah, the flip I side agree. is that you end up with a bunch of 
crap that you really don't like, and you have to pretend you are pleased with it. So I don't. I don't well, so we're all going shit. for that magic thing of someone gets you something and you actually like it. That's the that's so I'm gonna that's that's what I'm gonna tell Wendy this year when the fireplace shows up in March. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, Ryder, do you have a book or a catalog you'd like to describe? Yeah, let me just go. No, I have a couple of things I wanted to talk about. The first, uh, the first, uh, and I'm glad you brought up. uh, Christmas Carol, because this this plays into that. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out. It's such a cliche these days to talk about David Sedaris, but I have to say, in 1996 or whatever, when I was a teenager, somebody gave me a copy of his book Holidays on Ice, um, so which good. is his sort of legendary collection where he talks about you know when he was an elf at the Santa Land, and uh, that's like the most famous of those pieces. But there's also a piece in there that is still to 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 me one of the funniest things I've ever read. Uh, where he reviews uh, children's holiday shows, like local children's holiday shows, and does it as if he's like the most harsh critic in the world. Um, (laughs) So here we go. I'm just going to read a quote from it. Once again, the sadists at the Jane Snow Hernandez Middle School have taken up their burning pokers in an attempt to prod a Christmas carol into some form of submission. I might have overlooked the shoddy production values and dry leaden pacing, but these are sixth graders we're talking about, and they ought to know better. There's really no point in adapting this Dickensian stinker unless you're capable of looking beyond the novel's dime store morality and getting to what little theatrical meat the story has to offer. The point is to eviscerate the gooey center, but here it's served up as the entree, and a foul pudding it is. Oh, God. Just, bra- it, it, like, most of the blame goes to the director, 11-year-old Becky Michaels. You know, he, like, just rips the kids apart for their performances, and, the it's, so it's a class. And so, yeah, everyone, if you haven't, like, read David Sedaris's Holidays on Ice, get, go out and get it, and it makes a great gift for anybody. It's, like, the most cynical and yet ultimately very heartwarming holiday book. Uh, but no, I actually wanted to talk about uh, some poetry because oh. I feel like the holidays are a great time for poems, um, winter in general. But and I don't mean like difficult, like change your life poems. I I think uh, the holidays are a great time to just steal a few moments and read like a simple, good, accessible poem. Um, so I recently was rereading Robert Haas. Have you guys ever read any Robert Haas? Yeah. 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 And I don't know if I've talked about him on the show before, but he's one of my favorites. And he's like this West Coast sort of late beatnik guy. He writes a lot about landscapes and, but his poetry is so fun and so accessible. Um, So I just wanted to read this one, um, which is kind of a winter poem. It's called Happiness. Because yesterday morning from the steamy window, we saw a pair of red foxes across the creek eating the last windfall apples in the rain. They looked up at us with their green eyes long enough to symbolize the wakefulness of living things and then went back to eating. And because this morning, when she went into the gazebo with her black pen and yellow pad to coax an inquisitive inquisitive soul from what she thinks of as the reluctance of matter, I drove into town to drink tea in the cafe and write notes in a journal. Mist rose from the bay like the luminous and indefinite aspect of intention and a small flock of tundra swans for the second winter in a row was feeding on the new grass in the soaked fields. They symbolize mystery, I suppose. They are also called whistling swans, are very white, and their eyes are black. And because the tea steamed in front of me and the notebook turned to a new page was blank except for a faint blue idea of order, I wrote, Happiness! It is December, very cold, 
We woke early this morning and lay in bed kissing, our eyes squinched up like bats. I just love like it's you know and he's sort of like mocking his own poetic intentions you know he's talking about what things symbolize and and he sort of like reduces it to like no we just woke up in bed and had a good morning together and i love that like i love the simplicity of his stuff and um you know he always is interested in how how what he's looking at affects his mood and how his mood affects what he's looking at and um and then he also, he has a way of, of bringing in the history of places, not, not in this poem, but he talks a lot about like the native people that lived there and what stories they told and then, you know, different historical eras that have come through whatever uh, landscape he's involved in and writing about. He's just a wonderful, wonderful poet. And, uh, you know, like I said, not difficult. And then the other thing I've been doing, I've been embarking on some weird like poetry project of my own. So I started going back and reading old like traditional poetry and uh william blake <clears throat> songs of innocence and experience mm. guys oh, the best it's so good <laughs> and it's like it's no less strange even if you've already if you know it and you probably i mean all of us know it if we've been to an english class in high school or whatever but it is such a great book and it's worth reading all the way through because there's so many weird gems and if you can get a copy that has the original drawings in it um my copy has you know the original i guess lithographs or the artwork with the poetry it's they're basically like comic books you know and and the, right. the poems themselves are so uh so accessible and so easy um and yet really emotional and wonderful and weird um and you know the uh, my favorites have always been the chimney sweeper ones. Uh, I don't know if, if just in case anybody doesn't know, like the book is divided into two sections. There's the innocent section and there's the experience section. And uh, so there's versions of uh, each. There's a version. There's two versions for each poem in the book. Basically, there's the innocent version, and then there's the experience version. So the most simple example is the lamb in songs of innocence and he sings, you know, writes a sweet little poem about a lamb. And then in songs of experience, there's a poem, the tiger. And it's all about, you know, this weird evil creature or, or at least, you know, seemingly evil to our eyes creature and who created you. Um, and yeah, so the, the, the chimney sweeper, some of my favorites, the, the innocence version begins the chimney sweeper. When my mother when my mother died, I was very young, and my father sold me while yet my tongue could scarcely cry, weep, 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 so your chimneys I sweep, and in soot I sleep. And it goes on to just describe this sort of like heavenly child who is super positive about the fact that his parents are making a sweet chimneys and, or that his parents are dead or they all live in orphans, but they're going to go to heaven. It's like this super positive and, chimney sweep and I, message. And I'm the sad one. I'm the sad yeah. one for the, the Sears catalog. This guy's cleaning out fucking chimneys. Okay. <laughs> but then the songs of experience gets even darker. The chimney sweeper. A little black thing among the snow, crying weep, weep in notes of woe. Where are thy father and mother, say? They are both gone up to the church to pray. Because I was happy upon the heath and smiled among the winter snow, they clothed me in the clothes of death and taught me to sing the notes of woe. And because I am happy and dance and sing, they think they have done me no injury and are gone to praise God and his priest and king who make up a heaven of our misery. Oh, it's so, and like when you've read the other poem, which ends with like, you know, this little kid being so happy to go off and sweep 
sweep chimneys to get to the songs of experience. And they're, they're all like that. There's a one called the nurse and she's watching kids in the first one. And she's like, it's so beautiful watching children. And then the second one is like, this is my life. I'm stuck with kids. And it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's an amazing fun read. I know that sounds depressing, but it's actually, it's makes for good winter reading. I think, um, to, to, and jump around like to not read them all the way through but to read one song of innocence and then go read the one of experience and they're just they're like i said they're they're not hard you get them you get what it's saying you you get the tone and you you get the point and it, it doesn't take much mental effort it's just fun to read um you know what though this reminds me of something important that i forgot to mention um i'm actually in a christmas anthology that just came out <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. you chose a catalog. Um, You've used your a, time. I'm in a book <laughs> called The Usual Santas that came out uh, two weeks ago and oh. that USA Today reviewed yesterday. <laughs> what did you write about? Are you? Is it an essay or a no, story? No, it's, it's short stories. I, I totally... <laughs> I wrote a short story called Blue Memories Start Calling. Um which is a sad Christmas story about a sheriff in a small town. Uh, but my fiduciary duty is to remind the world that, in fact, I am in a Christmas book yeah. this, this Christmas. Well, Maybe at least you, you made it use... to the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. God. Plug for Todd. Go out and buy... Jesus. What's it called? The Usual, the the usual, usual Santas. Santas. There's... there's it, well, I was reminded of this, not just because I was in it, but because I was like, oh, yeah, there should be more things where there's, like, happy and sad and weird stories about the holidays. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, there's this, this book that's out now. But the, the title story, The Usual Santas, is about um, a bunch of mall Santas who realize there is an interloper in their midst who just might be Father Christmas. Wow. Sounds like a Hallmark movie. I was going to say. Chris Pine is. <laughs> is not in this Not in this movie, <laughs> but Ryder Strong stars as. <laughs> I could be uh, the poor man's Chris Pine. Come on. Actually, oh, okay. if you think about it, wouldn't Chris Pine be the ultimate undercover Santa name? Oh my Ooh. God. Christmas he Pine. He totally would. <laughs> Yes. Holy shit. Chris Pine is Santa. Can I just say that I didn't think much of Chris Pine as an actor until uh, Hell or High Water, and now all I want to be is Chris Pine. He's pretty great. Yeah, he is. I, I like great. him. He's, I love yeah, him. He's emerged from the other Chris's. Yes. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a yeah, forest totally of Chris's that I can't keep track of. It's like, which one was in... Star Trek, which one is uh, is Captain America? They're yes. all kind of interchangeable, yes. but he's yes, he's, he's, he's going to be great in our Christmas movie that we make just for Chris Pine, <laughs> 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 where he stars as the Sears catalog. It's right. 1982. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> Happy holidays! Happy Hanukkah Happy- to you, Todd. Thank you. Merry Christmas to uh, you two um, people who celebrate that. And to everyone else, a merry holiday season. 2017 fucking sucked. Yeah, let's move on. 2018 is going to be great. 2018 is the year we make a difference. Mm. Eh, Something will happen. Wasn't it about this time last year that I was sitting on the couch because Debbie Reynolds died? 
Was that, uh, last year was the year of all the celebrity deaths, right? Yes, yeah, David yeah. Bowie died on my birthday, that sucks. Oh, wow. Hey everyone, we'll see you in 2018. We hope you get good stuff. If you got something you don't like, return it and send us the money. We need it. <laughs>